Welcome to the Birds FM podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to Field Manual. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And tonight is literally January 11th, Thursday in the year 2024. That's my birthday. Yay! So it's awesome. And it's, it is a great day. It's been a really amazing day, in fact. But it's significant in so many ways for me because I'm here. <laughs> and I'm here and happy to be here. And blessed to have parents that brought me into this world. So I had a nice day with them, having a light brunch with them, and had some nice things go on all day, including later in the Bright on TV show, in the break, when I leaned back in my chair to take and close my eyes and just rest my eyes for a few moments, when they came back live, it froze with a position that looked like I had fallen asleep in my chair so that the world got to think that the show started with me asleep. That was excellent. But anyway, other than that, it's all good. I mean, a great day. And today, I received something really amazing. We'll have to find out how we're going to get this onto the Bard store. But our mod bear literally sent me some of his new Ambitious Faith barbecue sauce. Hmm. I'm going to have to try this. I'll give reports on this later, and we'll test it and see if it's up to the bear standard, which I'm sure it is. It's, it looks really good. So thank you very much, bear. That's awesome. All right, Patriots, before we get going tonight... We need to talk about one thing everybody needs to have. I haven't mentioned it for a while. It's absolutely essential that everybody has one, and it's the Founder's Bible. Founder's Bible. So you need to go to thefoundersbible.com, thefoundersbible.com. And it's important because this is probably one. We're going to talk all about this tonight. Thefoundersbible.com, you can go over there and you can order any of the the editions, including digital edition, and use your BARDS code, B-A-R-D-S, and you're going to get 20% off. Of everything in the world they have right now, this is probably, in my opinion, for the time in which we are in, this is the equivalent of the Gutenberg Bible when we had the Revolutionary War. This Bible is probably the most important version of Bible to own at this point in time because of what it does, what it talks about, everything. So head on over to thefoundersbible.com, thefoundersbible.com. And you will find a lot of information to read about thefoundersbible.com. And then when you check out, you put in BARDS code, B-A-R-D-S. They'll give you 20% off and away you go. And you need one. You, you definitely need one. If you don't have one, get one. If you know somebody else doesn't have one, get one for them. It's very important. So again, thefoundersbible.com, promo code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, and away you go. All right, so field manual. What is a field manual? Field manual is a comprehensive reference manual published by the United States Army's Publishing Directorate. It contains detailed information and how-tos for procedures important for soldiers serving in the field. The manual presents the fundamental principles and overarching doctrinal guidance for conducting operations and sets the foundation for tactics, techniques, and procedures across the rest of the Army. 
Okay, FM 3-0 provides doctrine on how Army Force, as part of the Joint Team, conducts sustained large-scale combat operations with current force structure and capabilities against a regional peer. Soldiers carry a field manual, a set of simple instructions for making decisions and dealing with unexpected in an ever-changing combat environment. I like that last. Soldiers carry a field manual, a set of simple instructions for making decisions and dealing with the unexpected in an ever-changing combat environment. Now, in the spring of 2001, after the name Bards of War had been active on Twitter since 2018, and in a sudden move, which was not very popular by some, but which was totally driven by prayer and other things, like consequences of YouTube being maliciously evil at that point in time and starting to suppress things with words like war in it. But in a very difficult decision, I changed the name, and it, was, it came through prayer to Bards FM. And I will not kid you, that was one of the harder decisions I've made really had to even felt like I should have repented on it because I wasn't sure I really heard God clearly on that one. And so I did. I changed it. And it's very unsettling when you do these things because when you change something like that, you literally watch it change almost instantly and the whole history of what it was gets erased. So Bards of War became Bards FM. And believe me, people were like, don't do it. It's horrible. Problem is that Bards of War wasn't capturing the essence of where God was leading this ministry. And what was capturing it was the FM piece. FM is field manual. And I want to go back to that quote. Soldiers carry a field manual, a set of simple instructions for making decisions and dealing with the unexpected in an ever-changing combat environment. That's your Bible. That's your Bible. Field manual is your Bible. That's how it is for me. So Bards FM is literally, Bards are storytellers of the people, and FM is your field manual, which is your Bible. And this is the one document, one piece that we should ha have with us at all time because everybody in this fight is a soldier under Christ. It's not any more difficult than that. So, the question then is, like people ask, what Bible do I read? There's, there's tons of versions. We know that. And a lot of it's going to depend on your own preference. But in this particular time, if I want to get depth in knowledge, I read AMP, Amplified, because it gives a, a greater context to the words. I, don't, I actually love Amplified because it gives a greater context to what is being said in the original. But we're going to talk about a true field manual for this time. It's going to be the Founder's Bible. Within the Founder's Bible is a, an amazing history. It's a story of how it came about. In the very beginning, it talks about that. But with discovery in all of this was just how deep and how passionate our founding fathers were for the Bible and for Jesus. Now, as you probably know or should know, the editor of this was Pastor Brad Cummings. And the historian on this was David Barton, who has an enormous, I think he has the largest original manuscript library of, of American founding documents of anybody. And you combine these 
people together and you start to get an amazing synergy. And this was really an, an event as you read through the beginnings of the Founder's Bible, you discover how this whole thing was not exactly planned. They just kind of came to it. And it's truly an amazing story about coming together in such a way that the story of our country is now being captured and told in more detail in a Bible. So the, um, the whole essence of this Bible is that is the idea that our country was grounded and founded on the principles of Scripture. In fact, our founding fathers saw this as the New Jerusalem. This is before Israel, obviously, before the Rothschilds stole Israel from the Middle East and then decided to use it as a hub to create, declare perpetual war to forever infuse hatred before religious between religious groups for their maniacal method of and ministry of power. But the Founders Bible gets into the root and the origins of who we are as a nation. And it's essential to look at this time to understand that we have a country that is truly blessed, a country that has been anointed and it was blessed by God. And along the way, because of the nature of it, it has been targeted by the elites. Now, I just want to give you that in perspective. This is a country that at the time, the world was being run by kings, kings and queens. And our founding fathers, which began at the pulpit, by the way. I mean, this is our country was grounded in the pulpit. And at the time, the Bible of the time was the Gutenberg Bible, part of which was that printing press was originally brought over by the pilgrims. And the root in this was to teach people God's word. And they were doing it, and they were doing it with fire, and they were doing it with, with unbelievable courage because these were pastors that were speaking out about against the king, speaking out about tyranny, speaking out about the, the whole accountability within God's world. And so our, our whole country was built from the pulpit. The introductions to the Declaration of Independence came from sermons that were given in the early 1700s. And the involvement of the church in the people and raising them up and increasing their moral accountability and all of this was about raising up a new nation, a new way of thinking, and to separate from that despicable nature of totalitarianism, which in the, in the, in the Declaration of Independence they refer to as, dis, as despotic or despotism. And there were serious consequences for people at the time for violating British law, but it was empowering people. The church was the center point. The pulpit was the center point of raising them up. If you know the story of the Black Robe Regiment, which is an important one, which we'll get to here in a minute, but these are all part of where the, the strength of our nation came from. And in knowing this, we start to understand just how powerful God's word was in forging every part of our nation. And yet, here we are today where you can hardly tell that God exists in so much of our nation. So when we look at the, the sorts of things that we are dealing with today, and we are trying to struggle with who we are, and that's both that's a dual-headed question. It's intended to be that. We have who we are we as a nation and who are we in the eyes of God. 
if we start looking at our history and understanding who our founding fathers were, we start to understand how they were very clear what their role was in life. And that is rooted in our faith and our belief in God as something greater. And in the process, they were developing a nation modeled on those principles of the kingdom authority over the people. Declaration of Independence, all rights come from our creator, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And government is subordinate to the wills of the people. That puts people subordinate to the king, which is Jesus. And why this is so important is at the time on a global level, they were monarchies, they were kings, they were queens, they were all over. Our founding fathers established a government that said, we have a king. And I've called this the greatest troll of all times. Literally, the big middle finger to the rest of the world in the name of God. I know this probably sounds a little bit blasphemous, but bear with me because it's amazing when you think about this. Speaking to the world, our founding fathers said, our only king that we need and we have in this nation who gave us our rights is Jesus. And the rest of you in a single stroke with the Declaration of Independence and all the signatories on the bottom of that document, they told every monarchy, every king, every queen in the world that they were false, that they were not true, and their power was not anointed by God, and their power was not lineaged to some demigod, but that there was only one true God. And that was in that second paragraph, first line, all rights come from our creator, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's an incredible statement, and it absolutely enraged those in power. Because the idea that we, the people, government was subordinate to the wills of the people, we, the people, would have greater power than a royal class, a bloodline, was unconscionable. And so the war really began about that point. That first shot in the war, which we say is Lexington and Concord, 1775, April 19th, 1775. The first shot, the first major shot on a global level, the shot that truly was heard around the world was the Declaration of Independence because it established very clearly that this nation was going to be like no other. This nation was going to be a nation of people looking to God first and building a government from their rank and file that would be obedient to the wills of the people and the people would be obedient to God. There is a beautiful lineage there and a perfection in that design when we abide by it and live by it. But that isn't exactly as things went, as we know, because what ends up happening, happening is that the secret societies get launched and the crown and all these other influencers get launched because they know very well that what's at stake here above all is that if these people in these colonies were allowed to really rule themselves, every dynasty around the world would now be challenged. And so the Declaration of Independence was actually made punishable by death if you were found carrying it in any of the British colonies. I want to read you something here. This is early on in our history. It was Sunday morning, early in the year 1776, in the church where Pastor Molenberg preached. It was a regular service for his congregation, but a quite different affair for Molenberg himself. Molenberg's text for the day was Ecclesiastes 3, where he explains, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, and a time to plant, and a time to pluck what is planted. Coming to the end of his sermon, 
Peter Muhlenberg turned to his congregation and said, in the language of the Holy Writ, there was a time for all things, a time to preach and a time to pray, but those times have passed away. As he assembled, looked at on, as the assembly looked on, Pastor Muhlenberg declared, there is a time to fight and that time is now coming. Muhlenberg then proceeded to remove his robes, revealing to the shock of his congregation a military uniform. Marching to the back of the church, he declared, Who among you is with me? On that day, 300 men from the church stood up and joined Peter Muhlenberg. They eventually became the 8th Virginia Brigade fighting for liberty. Frederick Muhlenberg, Peter's brother, was against Peter's level of involvement in the war. Peter responded to Frederick writing, I am a clergyman, it is true, but I am a member of the society as well as the poorest layman, and my liberty is as dear to me as any man. Shall I then sit still and enjoy myself at home when the best blood of the covenant is spilling? So far I am from thinking, I am far from thinking that I am act wrong. I am convinced it is my duty to do so, and duly I owe to God and my country. Profound words. And this was the this is a way to typify the thinking from the pulpit at that period of time, 1776. It was an understanding that Scripture, God's word, the obedience to Him, also meant that there was a hard line towards tyranny. That we, it was not it was unacceptable to live under tyranny. And that while all methods should be employed, there was a point when certain methods would then become exhausted. And at such a time, it was necessary for people to step up and pick up arms to defend not just a country, but defend their right to worship and to have their God, and most importantly, that they owed God this for the right to be his children and the sacrifices given to him. Those sorts of framings are not discussed much in the pulpit these days. They should be. They should be the principal issue the pulpits speak of. The pulpits should be speaking of the tyrannies in which we are facing with. They should be talking about what's going to happen in May when we sign the WHO agreement, World Health Organization agreement, that under any pandemic, it's the new pandemic rules and global pandemic control, they have the authority to take any of your land, any of your property, anything you own, if they decide that you are not participating well or you are a threat to them in any form, though they'll call it a sickness, they'll say you're sick, they'll say you're not wearing a mask, whatever. This is a new level of global tyranny to take everything to make sure that you own nothing, you rent everything, and you, you will be happy. The only part about the happiness that you're missing in that equation is they hadn't quite injected you yet with a couple of vaccines so they can control your moods by 5G. But other than that, it's all good. The fire of righteousness was alive in our colonies. And it wasn't everywhere, but it was prevalent and understood. The one thing that's interesting about these documents when we talk about, like the documents of the Declaration of Independence, is these men were known in, in, in our society. They were known in, in, the, in the colonies. They may not have been known for all they were doing, but when people, put, they were men of integrity, they were men of strength, they were men of their word. So when they signed the Declaration of Independence, their names meant something. It carried weight. People understood who they were looking at. And they understood that this was a magnificent commitment of their life to give to something that was greater than themselves. 
they became the examples to lead a nation. All of this ultimately roots down into the belief and the power of the word. There was a relationship of understanding that Christ sacrificed for us. It wasn't taken frivolously. It was understanding that life was a toil. It was difficult. They were in pursuit of trying to get to the greater levels of awareness and living in terms of Jesus. Life wasn't seen as easy because there was no way to make life easy. These were people on the frontier. They were blazing a trail. They were trying to establish a new world. They were reaching to God to say, what does this look like? Some of the greatest examples of this are the pilgrims and what they did when they first came over. They ended up striking a peace deal, a treaty with the Native Americans that lasted 50 years in peace until we see the corrupted forces starting to come in and starting to pit two nations against each other. We have the Revolutionary War, and when we get to the Revolutionary War, we see that same sort of tumultuous use where the French are using trappers and they're in relationship to the Native Americans. The British are using their relationships to the Native, Native populations, and everybody is pitting itself against each other and into the center against the, the colonists. And why would that be? Because as much, and I'm one who believes that as much as people like to talk about how the French supported the American Revolution, it's actually not true. The French were simply trying to position themselves to be the controller of the colonies and take it away from the British. They had no interest in the colonists. They were interested in the trade. And so you have two superpowers of the time, France and England, the United Kingdom, pitting against each other, using the colonists as the doughboys in between and trying to savagely build blood rifts that no matter who won, there would be no eventual winner because it would be a perpetual war within in the cultural dimension and dynamic of a country. And that they were also planning on the fact that if they could position themselves well enough, both France and England would gain in trade because this was a land of new opportunity and resources, which was going to fill the coffers of the monarchies that were ruling their countries. And yet, at the core of all of this was the fear of understanding that this nation was doing something profound, something they couldn't let the world have. They were giving the power to the people, and the only king above them was our Lord and Savior Jesus, through Christ to the Father. You can't understate how important this is, because it sets the tenor for the very fight that we're in today. The pitting of those of the satanic, what we refer to as a satanic realm, where we call them the cabal, we call them the deep state, we call them a variety of things. They're all sick at the end of the day. And they're obsessed with power. And their idea is that they should have control over all things that they want and that the people should not have any more control than they're allowed. But that is not what our Declaration of Independence says. That is not what our documents talk about. And yet that's what they want us to believe. And the only way you can ultimately win that fight at least at the very heart of it matter, is you have to dis diminish the power of the church and you have to diminish the presence of God in all aspects of our government. And that's the war they have fought and fought it effectively. And then from there, you have to destroy the network, the one module, the one special operations team that God built, which is the family. And you have to do that by tearing that down effectively too so that it cannot recover. And there's so many layers to this fight as we have gone over, but I want to kind of review them tonight to understand ultimately as I sit here literally at my desk with my hands sitting on top of my, my copy of the Founder's Bible, why this document, this particular version of the Bible is probably the most important you could ever own in your life for this moment in time. 
because everything in here relates Scripture to a deeper understanding of what this country was intended to be and to really understand why so much effort was put in from the very beginning to destroy and dismantle that dream because it was a threat to the global institutions of power unlike anything they'd ever seen. Who in their right mind would think the elites? Who in their right mind would give people power to rule? They aren't equipped. They aren't the right ones. They aren't able to rule. Only we as a special class are able to rule. And yet that's not what it said. In America, they said, we the people have the right. People have the, have the or given the rights by God himself. And again, this is a, a slap in the face to the elites that are saying, no, that we are the ones granting to you your right to be, for we are the anointed rulers and the anointed class to rule. And yet this document, the Declaration of Independence, was throwing stones at them and saying more than stones. It was slapping them across the face to say, no, the only king, the true king, is our creator. And to get to him, we have to have Jesus through Christ to the Father. That's who rules this nation. And they told this to the world. And in the world, this is where this document, the Declaration of Independence, becomes so viscerally dangerous. Because in the hands of those that own it, contained it in the colonies, if they begin to speak about this and begin to discuss about it, it means it challenged every structure of rule and order that was put in place by French or the Dutch or the British or even the Germans. All these old European empires that had structured everything to control people, to enslave people, to exploit people for the benefit of the few and the happy illusion of the masses. There's a story that just comes to mind tangentially. This is really important for me in just kind of framing this. During the early trade routes when England was setting up trade, which was going around the tip of Africa and then back up to China, and the opening of China was just beginning. It was beginning through the southern ports near Singapore. And the ships were bringing back cargo, which was being consumed, obviously, with new wares from the, Middle East, Middle, from the Eastern and Middle East and Central Asia areas. And one of these products that was coming back were oranges. When the oranges arrived, they were rotting, despicable. They were sitting in a hole with no air conditioning or no coolant, I should say, no way of regulating temperatures. So the oranges were literally rotting and fermenting but they sold them as a product, a normal. This was the normal. And so people were literally buying rotted oranges and in the elite circles, they were propping this up as the great new product they were able to have because only the elite could own it. The arrogance and stupidity of this class of elites never ceases to amaze me. They are consumed with trying to be elegantly above everybody else. I, I truly think that orange thing was God mocking them, but that's okay. Everyone inter interpret that event. But the fact of the matter is the colonial empires were ruthless. They had no intention of people having power. And this is what this was about in the colonies period was to break away from that sort of power, to establish a new form of government of the people to be greater and more profound, to have innovation beyond scale, to show the world that there was something different when we took the chains off of people and we let them loose, that people would aspire to be great. They would build something that would be unbelievably memorable, profound in fact, and yet the world shuddered and the war began and the war against the United States began incessantly. The first strike really was to bring in the Hessians, which were the German mercenaries, which were ruthless against the colonists in war. Rape, murder, 
burning down homes, violence towards families that was unprecedented, looking for men that were at war to go in and sweep through villages and totally destroy everything, killing the women, hanging the children. These things were real. The British understood violence. They understood the, the idea of ruling by trauma. And this is what is carried on today. If you look around, the same type of programming is happening today, only it's on a mass scale, and we don't see it quite as violent because we don't get to walk into a village and see all the houses burn and see children hanging from a tree. And because in that day there was no social media to spread it, so they got away with it. But in this day, they used things like psyops, and they convinced people to take shots, and they convinced parents to chop the genitals off of children. And it's working, by the way. It's been quite effective, surprisingly so. These people are ruthless. They always have been. And they have always hated this nation because of a simple principle that we have rights given to us by God. As we move forward through this era, we go into the 18th War of 1812, which was little more than a war of Britain to remind us that, we, that they could try to convince us that they could defeat us any time. As they marched all the way up to Quebec and trying to destroy things along the way. They created a division, and they did it strategically well, where they separated by bringing in their own people into Quebec. They prevented a treaty that would have unified North and South America. I'm sorry, North America and Canada into one, Canada and America into one. We would have been unified as one body, but they didn't want that. They didn't need, they had to prevent that because that was a threat to the empire. The British, if the British were good at one thing, they were masterful at pitting people against each other. And doing it where people were unwittingly to the point of hating each other. The British have continued that operation until today. It's almost native to everything we do. Add to that organizations in the modern day like Mossad and other intelligence agencies and our own government that has completely been bought off and are now against us. A media that's been completely controlled by intelligence agencies, particularly the CIA, under Operation Mockingbird, we begin to understand that the whole manipulation of the American public, though, goes back to its origins. And its origins were, at the very beginning, trying to keep colonists from uniting. It was a fear. Because what's at the core of the body of Christ? It's unity. It's forgiveness. And it's strength. Strength to stand against evil, knowing that there is such a thing as tyranny. What's been missing in the modern language, the modern, modern message from the pulpit to a large degree is to understand that we are facing tyranny and is our obligation to stand against it. Not to bend over and accept that we're supposed to live in a place now where we accept government. And where do they get us the most? In the, in the areas of the colonial days, there was no such thing as a 501c3 church. Today, that instrument is one of the most powerful instruments to control the message of God. Because money and tithe get corrupted in a Babylonian structure so that people only give, well, largely because they're expecting to get a return. And so you give your tithe to a church, which is giving your tithe to God for the purposes of per per perpetuating the ministry, and you get an added bonus. The state's going to give you money back, which is not even real money. It's all fiat currency. Those incentivizations to get money into churches have turned churches into just a business to a large degree and a corrupted one at that. And the principles, the true values of what we should be teaching are blended and lost. 
so our church has been deeply weakened in this process, and it was partly by design. They had to weaken the voice of the church because the British understood from the very beginning the power of the Black Robe Regiment. That piece that I spoke of here just a moment, moment ago that I read about, where we have the rising up. This is the rise of the Black Robe Regiment. Molenberg led the first 300. They were the first black robes. And what Molen, when they say he took off his robes, his robe was a black robe. And underneath his black robe was a colonist uniform, military uniform. He was stepping into a new line, a new anointing, if you will. And so he led a whole movement. At the Battle of Lexington and Concord, it was a pastor that was leading the militia. Pastors were active in this fight. They weren't just pulpit bangers. They were active in the, the right raising up of militias and the defense of communities. They were active in growing food. They were active in having farm animals. They were active in riding horses. Pastors were a part of the real world. They weren't sequestered into offices and studying all week to give a certain sermon. Pastors were part of the living world and the living environment. They had to be. They had to survive. Life wasn't easy. Life was a toil. And as we separate the, the reality of, of life, of today, which is all driven around too much of it, driven around convenience, and we get into the root of where things are, we start to find where we need to step in. The revival of the church in our heart, the true church of Christ, the revival of bringing that in with no walls, no limitations, this revival that is happening now, raising up and restoring the church, has to come from people willing to get their hands dirty, willing to raise food, willing to do the things that of old, to be self-reliant, not reliant on a system of corporate corruption, of Babylonian modeling. We have to get back to the principal values of Jeremiah 6.16, seeking the ancient paths, and understand what that means in the deeper sense of as we walk into the true meaning and love of God, to be actively tied to the land and to raise that up in a mighty way. This is our path ahead of us, which is not about going forward as much as it is reviving the past and finding a new way through to avoid the pitfalls of this technological world that seeks to do everything to separate us from the principles of who we are. So we continue down that route. We have the War of 1812. We then have the Civil War, which is engineered in part by Pike. All of these things to pit again a nation against this nation, and all of this to develop blood rifts that we hopefully will never never overcome. Out of the war of out of the Civil War comes the American American Indian War, which rages on in the West, and which is just an outright slaughter and purification for a nation to get rid of Native peoples because they would not comply to the trade models which had been set up so that people from the East and ultimately Europe would be able to profit. As we turn the corner and we start to see the rise of the, the grueling classes with like the World's Fair in Chicago, which was so much about demonstrating technologies that they would then show to the elites and suppress for the people. There was also, as we're finding out now, there was rituals at the, at the World's Fair in Chicago that dealt with what we now know as Karzarian type Jews, which are not true Jews, doing sacrifice of children. No kidding. And we continue down this path. We get into then the robber barons of the era, they were the big industrialists that then have a war over establishing the Fed. Somewhere along the way there, they put all their opponents, the people that opposed the Fed, they put them on this Titanic, they sunk them, killed them all, opposition was gone, and the new ruling class took into charge. 
We have the manipulation of events by sinking a civilian ship, by, which was a fake sinking, which led us into the commitment into World War I and the slaughtering of our youth. And then we go into the stage, knowing that, knowing that the Japanese were going to attack us in World War II, allowing that, that Pearl Harbor attack to happen, to draw America into a two-front war so that we could slaughter another half a million men. And then when the men come back, we push them into the places away from the, the, the farms, far away, getting them into suburbia, bringing in the new dependency on commercialized goods. You can start to see the whole vision of, of our founding fathers just wither. And with it, what, what else withers? The love and belief in, in the greatness of God in our lives. Because as we separate ourselves from the root of who we were, going thinking our, into ourselves, well, advancement and progress and technology are all part of getting a better world and a better life. It was the grave that we were digging to get us more anchored into the physical world and farther away from him, he, God, Yahweh who is up here saying, come love me and trust in me, I'll provide all things. And we're saying, yes, but I've got a great job opportunity. Yes, but I can get a new salary. Yes, but I can go in debt further to get a new suburban home. I can step away farther from the land. I can start doing what the elites never do. I can start selling my property to get other things. And we start to lose all the anointings that were given around us as the elites left. Then we hit, then we just hit afterburner when we hit 60s. The 60s comes in an afterburner, and we declare it's a war upon our families. It's a war upon the youth, and it's done so with drugs, and it's done so with birth control, and it's done so to, to mainstream the idea that now there's no longer as an importance of relationships. It's live free. Do as thou will. The whole true sense of satanic worship. Have no accountability. Don't worry about the consequences. And above all, pursue those things that make you feel as a physical flesh better. Better. That would mean drugs and sex. Add some music in there for rock and roll just to hyperbolic charge that thing and you are off to the races. And that only continues. And that root in the 60s continues to a growing me class of people consumed with wealth, growing expansion of ownership for their personal means. And we start to see the decline of the power of the church. The church is trying to compete head on head, missing a, a critical piece that the true sense of God is not in the walls anymore. It's in the streets. We have to get out there. But unfortunately, culture, over, culture surpassed the church. And it moved more quickly than the church could gain footing because it had become anchored in the costs of maintaining the lights and the maintaining the buildings and the dead stone walls. And then we arrive at today, a culmination of masterful planning by the elite, the destruction of the family, the overburden on, on finances of the family, the rupturings of economies, the implement, the manipulation of inflation, the needing to get two jobs instead of one the raising up of, of costs of living, the declining wage, the profiteering off of their back through the stock market and the massive growth there, the exporting of jobs, the reducing of wages overall, the turning of people who are doing things with their hands into people that were now just menial jobs that mean nothing, to break the will, to where the work becomes a toil and just something you endure until you hope one day you can retire and step out of it and maybe enjoy a little modicum of wealth that you've set aside so that you can enjoy the latter part of your life. The financial pressures on family reduced the potential for family size. This was eugenics at its best, squeezing down financially on every front, pushing in the idea of 
children were a burden. Exporting children to public schools increasingly as a mandate so that children now became indoctrinated into this new idea of an industrialized society where families were intended to be small, even smaller if possible. And that the most important thing was the wage and the things that we had to earn. We have arrived there now in such a magnificent way that they programmed it that parents literally believe that God is flawed. God is imperfect because God is obviously producing children within their ranks that don't even know what their gender is. And when they grow up into school and they get to second, third, or fourth grade, suddenly children are saying, but I think I'm a girl. And the parents scratch their head and they say, well, God must be wrong. I must have a child that was supposed to be a, a girl, not a boy. And they take them into the clinics and they have them surgically modified or they give them the drug therapies to get them on the process. And the end result is the same. And in all of this, the one piece along the entire way that keeps getting trounced on, trounced on, trounced on, that the nation never turns to enough, that doesn't seek guidance enough in, that doesn't want to repent through, is God. And it's all in a book called the Bible. There are Bibles in every home nearly, but most homes have never read them. And matter of fact, our homes have multiple Bibles, and they're never read. God's Word is now taught very much like Islamic culture. If you want to know one of the greatest cons going in the world, it's that most Muslims never have read the Quran. They'll tell you they have. It's not true. Most have received what the Word of the Quran is supposed to be. Unfortunately, we're getting to be very much the same way. As a culture, we're not reading the Word of God. We're receiving the message of God from a pulpit trusting in that person to speak to us, to tell us how to relate to God instead of us having an engagement with God through the word, through the immersing ourselves in the texts that are sacred, the words that lead us to him. Remember, as you read the Bible, the Bible reads you. And in the end, the Bible reads you a whole lot more than you will read it. And the word of God needs to flow in you. It needs to be like water flowing from head to toe. And it's to be so much a part of you that everything you breathe and feel and think is just so profound that it literally sets you free into a world and sees the world through a biblical lens. But that's another problem. Our youth pastors is something atrocious, like less than 30% of our youth pastors actually have a biblical worldview and less than 60% of our pastors have a biblical worldview. Then we add to this that about 80% of our pastors have a porn addiction. When you see these things and we can get angry at them, what we have to do is acknowledge that the enemy's war against God's temples, if you will, God's places of worship, much better said, has been very successful. And in this crisis of this hour, God is calling out to his children to stand up and to be mighty in the word right now, to be soldiers in this time. And God needs his soldiers. Our world needs his soldiers. What was that quote again? Soldiers carry a field manual, a set of simple instructions for making decisions and dealing with the unexpected in an ever-changing combat environment. Enter the field manual. This is the Bible. It is your textbook for war. It is your textbook to understand how to navigate through an enemy. It is your teaching manual. It is your best friend. It is your guidance it is your wisdom because at the root of it is God's word and it is all the things you need to be victorious in this hour. 
but you have to read it. You can keep it in your pocket. You can sleep on it. You can wrap it in a pillow. You can put it in your backpack. But either way, no matter how hard you try until you open that up and read it, there is no way you're going to be able to absorb what's there and to put it in you and have God write upon your heart those critical things that you need to know now. And the more you read it, the other things he will write upon your DNA and what you need over time. And as we learn that word and we learn what the words apply to our, our, our world and we let God guide us, those worlds, those words often transform even into greater meanings. And sometimes they open up ways that we never have thought possible to see the world through his eyes. But that's how the key to understanding this world and understanding this fight and understanding victory in this hour. We need our Bibles. We need our field manuals of war. And we need those bards. What are they? The storytellers the storytellers in this hour, to be able to speak the word of God into this world in such a profound way that it shakes the hearts of men. It opens men's eyes into something greater than they've ever imagined. It's the love of Christ, the power of love, the power of kingdom that comes into this world that overcomes all things, that there is no mountain before us that we can't overcome. It's the fearlessness to walk into a fight, into a war, raging war of an enemy that's constantly trying to besiege us. And be able to calmly sit there and speak the word of God and just like peace be still, watch that storm fall and watch the enemy run. It's the power of healing to speak God's word into people, to watch the broken and the sick be restored. It's the power of speaking God's word into those that are being ravaged by demons or walking in the pain of, of the spiritual pains that they've incurred over their life and to be able to heal them and to deliver them from the clutches of the darkness is to speak God's word into those that are spiritually dead or even physically dead and to speak them back to life to raise the dead. This is the book of Acts. This is the church of Acts that comes to life in this time that Christ himself demonstrated and gave us the authority to walk in. And it's the greater works that we sometimes can't even comprehend, but it is so profound in what the Bible gives us. It's a belief, it's a confidence, it's an understanding of our true reason for being here. For we are the sons of the Most High. We are the sons of God that the earth has been trembling and waiting to arrive. And this is our hour. And all of this ties to this country, United States of America, more than any other country in the world. Because our founding documents the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, were all anchored deep within the Word of God. Even those beginning words and lines of the Declaration of Independence came from sermons, again, spoken in the early 1700s, pulpits that became the foundation of a nation. Let me say that again. Pulpits that became the foundation of a nation. This nation wasn't one first by a musket. It was defended by a musket, but it was won first through the glory of God. And this is an hour now which everybody needs to return to the word, to get deep within the word, to read the word. Don't henpeck. Don't pick and choose. Open the Bible from the beginning and read it to the end. And for me, the greatest part of that moment is to pick up the Bible most relevant to this hour that teaches the importance of governance, that teaches the application of the word into the structure of this nation, which is the Founder's Bible. And not only is that Bible the most profound 
in our time, equal to the Gutenberg Bible. There is one man that was anointed, blessed to deliver this Bible for this time. My close friend and someone who's been on this show many times who each of you have access to, and that's Pastor Brad Cummings. You think about how powerful that is. We can't reach our founding fathers. We only reach them through the legacy of their letters. But we reach, we can reach the man who was given the gift and the sight and the, the anointing to put this Bible together. And his story is in the beginning, but it's much deeper than that. There is, in my opinion, no more important document, no important book, nothing more important in itself in this hour, greater than any weapon you have, any knife you have, any pile of food you have for stores of the end of times. Yes, it's important as a Bible, but this particular Bible, the Founder's Bible, for this time, in this place, in this nation, is by far the greatest, most important version of the Bible published to date. And it's one that everybody needs to have. Everybody needs to read from cover to cover. So on the 1st of January, God put on my heart a challenge, which I've been prepping the ground for, and which today I accepted the commission fully through him on my birthday, January 11th. We'll see how well I do. The challenge was this, to read the Bible, the Founder's Bible, from cover to cover in 11 days. It's not about marinating in every word. It's about getting the word in us because there's an urgency that God has put upon my heart that I'm sure is much greater of a time now that we must all absorb the word and move forward in such a profound moment in time that we have to stay in the word completely and fully. There is no other weapon we have before us that's greater than that. And in the time that we have and the enemy we face, we will not destroy a spiritual realm with bullets but we can wage war with the spirit and in the spirit with the mightiness of the words and the guidance which God gives us in this field manual of war from heaven. This is a glorious time. And so I'm challenging each of you, if you are so called, I can't think you wouldn't be if you ask God, to be honest with you, to pick up the Bible. And whether it's 11 days or whether it's three months, Commit yourself to reading the Bible now as effectively and efficiently as you can from front to back. Stay steady in the Word. And when you're done, start over again. But make this a reading that is steady, committed, without hesitating, without wasting time. Put aside the notes and all the things that you want to do to research. Just read the Word. Read it from front to back. And read it quickly. And absorb it and let God place upon your heart those scriptures, those words which you need most. Trust in him. Pray to him to have you remember the things that you must do. Must remember. Pray to him that you remember key scriptures word for word. Ask for that anointing of memory and commitment as if he's literally writing it upon your heart. And so I would conclude with this before we go to prayer. This is more than just a challenge. So many of you have done, given me great blessings, truthfully, personally, to me. You've blessed me for my birthday today. 
You've asked me to have a great day, and I'm honored to be here, and I'm honored to receive those blessings. So now I ask for one gift on this day, one. That's it. Pick up the Bible. Start at page one, and don't end until you get to the end. And read it diligently every single day until you have read the Bible from cover to cover. That would be the greatest gift anybody could give me for yourselves, for this Bard's nation, and for the nations in which we speak to. Read the Bible cover to cover. It's 2024. We're in the peak of this war, the most critical time we have ever faced in human history. This is not a time to toil or put things aside. So my request as a gift I'm asking of, but it's not a gift for me. It's a gift for God. Read the Bible. Read it in its entirety. Begin on the beginning and go to the end. Don't stop. Don't hesitate. Just keep reading and let God speak to you. Let God write upon your heart what he needs you to know. And listen to what he tells you because this hour is critical and he has a lot to say. Patriots, let's pray. Father God, come to you tonight very humbled and just ask this, this evening that my prayer for everyone is that they will be inspired be inspired to learn your word, to be inspired to take in the mightiness of what you have to give and to read the Bible, to be inspired to pick up the Bible and read it from the beginning to an end without stop, without hesitation, to be diligent every day, to commit fully to pursuing the word completely in its entirety in the book. To not be intimidated by the number of pages, but be inspired by the number of pages we will absorb to become better in the body of Christ. And to feel that power of excitement, that, that spiritual rush of the flames of righteousness that literally ignite within our soul. To lift up and look at the Bible, to pick it up and say, I can't wait to touch it again. I can't wait to read it further. I can't wait to get to the next line. So, Father, I just pray for that blessing to fall upon everyone, a fire so brilliant in their souls that the idea of not being able to read the Bible is just more tormenting than anything that we've ever met because we're so eager to absorb what you have to say. Bless us. Bless this nation. Bless the world that listens to this and everyone that touches the Bible to have such passion in this moment and this hour. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Patriots, as you know, I feel strongly about the Founder's Bible as one of the best versions out there today. And what I will commit to you is we'll bring Brad Cummings on here soon to talk about the Founder's Bible specifically, not the politics, not the garbage in the world. That's all, whatever it is. There's nothing greater that's what's in this text. To me, it ties us to our nation and it ties us to God. And when we release those two together, it's an unstoppable force. And we need that strength now more than ever because before us sits one of the greatest challenges of our time to overcome a cabal that has corrupted the very framework in which this country was built. And yet the framework still exists. So we have to get to the root of great governance and great governance comes from the scriptures, but it also comes to understanding our founding father's vision. And this one Bible, the founder's Bible accomplishes that. 
Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I will see you tomorrow morning for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deepest dead. Oh, I want to feel something. Let me get back in my body.